0: Kia ora. Before we get into this episode of Consume This, I just want to say a huge thank you to you. I'm really grateful you've come along on this podcast journey with us, listening, following, sharing, reviewing, and all the rest. We're about to start work on series two, but before we do, I want to hear from you. What do you like? What could we do better? Is there a story you really want us to cover? We're currently running an audience survey. It only takes a couple of minutes and it'll really help us give you more of the things you like. Filling out the survey will also enter you in the draw to win a $50 Prezi card, so it's well worth your while. You can find the link to the survey in the show notes for this episode or via consumer.org.nz forward podcast. Now, here's a question to get you thinking before we dive into this week's episode. Do you really need to own most of the things that you use? Oh my
1: god, that's so hot today. so hot. I feel like, uh, like roasting. I'm to
2: turn to a sweaty wheel of cheese, Tom. Now I'm driving in the direction of the library.
0: Welcome to Consume This with me, John Duffy, and my co-host, Sophie Richardson. Kia ora. This episode is about access over ownership and the sharing economy.
3: It's great to think that I'm not going to buy something and then it's just going to be used once and live in a cupboard. Yeah, I think it's just really good approach. If I bought a ladder, I wouldn't
2: have anywhere to put it and I probably wouldn't use it much, so yeah.
1: Uh, it's brilliant because if you have a small shed and you don't have a whole room for a whole lot of things, you can use them and use them only when you need them and someone else can use them when you don't need
3: them. Oh, I just think that it's nice to be able to recycle and reuse rather than buying things brand new and it's good for the environment if you're sort of instead of yeah getting a new product you just use what's already there
0: the idea is that we don't really want to own a saw we just want to be able to saw things we don't really want to have a ladder in the carriage but occasionally we do want to reach high things or take cars we don't really need to own one but we do need convenient easy access to transportation There are a few different things that get thrown under the sharing economy umbrella. You'll often see things like Airbnb and Uber mentioned. Access over ownership is even more broad and includes the subscription economy. That's things like Netflix and Spotify, even your local gym. To dig into all the facets of them, we'd need an entire series, not just one episode. And with that in mind, we're going to be focusing on two areas, transport and tools, and two slightly different sharing economy models sharing facilitated by a central profit driven company and a more community-based volunteer-led system both of these aim to save us money reduce the amount of stuff we need to personally own and increase the amount of time that stuff gets used for perspective an average car is only used five percent of the time private ownership of vehicles is the single greatest
1: accomplishment of madison avenue and the marketing efforts of the 20th century It's just mind-boggling. The most money people spend in their life after buying a
0: house is a private car. 96% of the time it sits still. Whilst an average drill, well, that's used about 13 minutes in its entire lifetime.
3: Buying something because you need it once just doesn't seem like a very logical system. Tools are pretty expensive, especially power tools.
0: Across this episode, we're going to investigate both of those things. Starting off with the car. Transport has been an early focus of the sharing economy. Electric skirters and bike shares have popped up all over our cities, allowing us to rent and pay by the minute. And increasingly, there are car sharing clubs that let us do the same thing. At this point, it's time to bring in my Consume This co-host, Sophie Richardson. Sophie you have a personal story about this.
2: Yeah, so when me and my partner bought our first home together, I owned my own car. It was quite expensive because I bought a brand new car. The weekly loan costs were about hundred and so dollars, which was quite expensive on top of a mortgage. And so we basically, we were like, can we get by without one? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't using it to get to work. We were only using it in the weekends to go shopping or make random little trips. And so we decided to sell the car and use what is called Mevo down here which is a car sharing service it allows you to rent cars basically by the minute or the hour and it saved us heaps of money we've worked out that we spend about three and a half thousand dollars a year on Mevo which I thought sounded like a shit ton of money mm. but then I worked out the running costs of a car and that's about just over six grand so I'm saving at least half that nearly
0: yeah Firstly, it's interesting that you bought a brand new car. I mean, I don't know many people who buy brand new cars because the depreciation is so drastic. Yeah, Um, it was quite bad. Yeah, like how much had it depreciated by the time you sold it?
2: A lot. I bought it for $24,000 on loan, obviously. And then when I sold it about four years later, I sold it for $13,000.
0: Wow, and had you flogged it to death no definitely
2: not like that was the thing that i found most surprising it was a really low kilometer car like Mm. i had hardly driven it so someone got a
0: real bargain buying that second hand yeah yeah correct me if i'm wrong but most mevos are electric cars is that right or hybrids
2: some of them are so they have an audi e-tron which is electric um and also hybrid and also petrol right it's fancy and
0: is that part of it it's fancy, like that's based on my general knowledge is like a six-figure car, right?
2: Yeah, it's about 150k. We looked it right. up just to see like if we were to buy one, what would it cost us? Um, yeah, I mean, that is a big factor in the sense that I was paying $250 a week for the privilege to own, just own the Honda, not even run it, just own it. And I was just getting a Honda. Just a
0: Honda. Just a Honda. Sorry, Honda owners. Yeah. Right.
2: <laughs> But for half the price, basically, I can drive Audis and Volkswagens and Mm. fancy European carts. All
0: right. But do you sometimes wipe your windows instead of indicating?
2: (laughs) All of the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a problem. Okay. So, sorry, you were telling us about the numbers. So, things like fuel and insurance, I assume, uh, do you include kind of like services and maintenance and stuff in there as well?
2: Yeah. So, whatever. Then all of that is included in that sort of six grand that I was talking about.
0: All right, so, so you're, you're getting to cruise around in this $150,000 Flash Airs German hybrid electric. The reason you're able to do that is that because you're sharing the cost of the upfront purchase of that car with lots and lots of other people who also use it. So yeah. does that give you a warm fuzzy?
2: Um, I don't know if that really was the driver, to be honest. if I, think- I see what you did
0: there.
2: <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Um, I think... Generally, it's like good that there are less cars on the road, and that's part of the reason why the Wellington City Council has got behind Mevo in particular and allowed them to use car parks.
0: We should add that Mevo's not the only company Cush. out there doing this. Oh no, this it's road. just We're the one. Just, I'm just using. the
2: one you use. Yeah, councils could support it as a way of reducing the amount of cars in the city, and that's sort of the idea behind it. I guess from that perspective, it's good from an environmental perspective. But, yeah, it wasn't the main thing that drew me towards it. It was mainly that it was going to save me significant amounts of money. All
0: right, well, I mean, let's take a closer look at those savings. So Mm -hmm. what made up the bulk of what you were spending on your vehicle when you owned it?
2: Other than the initial outlay, which obviously was the most expensive thing, um, would have been the yearly running cost of fuel. That's gone up since I owned a car as well. I was spending about just over $3,000 on fuel a year. Now I would say that's probably closer to like four for that same amount of fuel that I was getting based on fuel prices.
0: And for people who haven't used ride share services like this, what do you, you have to return it full or charged or do you just use it and then you're paying a per kilometre rate, is that right? Per what? minute. Per, per minute.
2: And then per hour. In a car sharing situation, the fuel's included, the parking's included, the insurance is included, and then the car is obviously included and that's your shared part with, you know, a thousand other people or however many people use the service. For me, I was also saving on parking and now we're also making money on parking because when I owned a car, if I drove into work once a week, I was paying about $1,000 a year in parking. Now, because we own a car park as part of our... Owning a house, we're able to rent out our car park and make some money out of the service that we're not using anymore.
0: Have you recommended Mevo to that person? Mm,
2: I have not. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to many other people.
0: Right. And it sounds like you were one of those classic people. If we say that most, with private ownership, most cars are only used 5% of the time, Mm. does that ring true of you?
2: Yeah, I definitely say that's true. The main use would be at the weekend where I'm going out. If we t- went back to li- me living in Auckland, I was using my car
0: every day. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to substitute that for public transport, you don't know, think? No. Yeah. Due to the shitness. So in your case, Sophie, it works out cheaper than car ownership. But on the face of it, three and a half grand seems like a ton of money. I'm interested in whether maybe you're an atypical car share service user. I'd say that's sitting in the in the mid-range. This is Eric Zeidevelt, co-founder and CEO of Mevo.
1: We certainly have people who use a lot more, and we certainly have people who use a lot less. So that sounds about right. I'd say depending on how often you like to head out of town on longer trips, that's probably the big one that swings it one way or the other. But yeah, that sounds roughly about right. I know the average household in New Zealand. This is 2019, so guarantee there's a bunch of inflation in this. But the average household in New Zealand is 200. I'm pretty sure it's 17 dollars a week on transport.
0: The numbers, Eric. is quoting here are pretty much bang on but around $50 of that was air travel so if we take off the air travel our number comes down to around $160 per week or $8,500 a year that's still way more than your spend on car sharing.
2: That is quite a lot more but also I'm using the bus to get to work every day and very infrequently catching an Uber or a Zoomi or some other type of Taxi.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's the money. But what about the other issue that we talked about at the start of the episode? The average car is parked around 95% of the time. Now, that is a huge waste of resources.
2: Mm. It's highly inefficient.
1: Take a petrol car, say it's around 10 tonnes of emissions just to make the thing before you even ship it to the country that it's going to be used in and then run it and say there's probably the lifetime of a vehicle that would, on average, emit another 10 tons of emissions during its running life. The crazy thing is, if those cars are all being used very little, or say 10 cars are made to service the demand, you're looking at 100 tons of built emissions, then you spread that over the use, right? So every time you use it, that 10 tons is being spread by the use, right? Whereas if you have much higher use and a much lower built emissions... Particularly if they're electric vehicles, right? All of a sudden, those 10 people, they're like, you know, quote unquote, built emissions for the vehicle is one ton per person, not 10 tons per person. So it's one of those things where the, the genius of sharing is really starting
0: to come to the forefront. The big question here is are the car share schemes being utilized at higher rates than private cars? And if so, how many people are taking the Sophie Richardson option and getting rid of their own? <laughs> So our cars are running at about
1: 40% utilization across 24-7. So about 10x, which makes pretty logical sense. We worked with uh, Wellington City Council on a survey a while ago, and they, they were looking into car share in Wellington. Across the survey of users, they came back and found that 11 private vehicles had been foregone. So either sold or not purchased for every car share vehicle operating in the city. And I think... Yeah, it's a. it makes sense, right? When you go, one car replaces 11, that's 10 to 1, and our cars are used 40% and the private cars used 4. I do this thing in my head sometimes when I'm walking down the street and I see a line of 10 cars parked in a row and I just kind of imagine squeezing them all into one and then turning that empty, that dead space into a cricket pitch or a place to have a picnic or a kids' playground or whatever, like a bowling green, lawn bowling would be better than a cricket pitch, you know, next to the road.
2: I think that's a really interesting point around how we could use our cities in more interesting ways, right? Like if we're not filling up our cities with car parks.
0: Or heaven forbid we build more housing for people. Yeah, oh, heaven yeah, forbid we
2: actually house some people. You yeah. think of
0: the number of car parking buildings around the place that mm. are just printing money. They were turned into housing. Yeah. So the car sharing model is is one type of sharing economy. The assets, in, in their case, are the cars, and they're getting better utilised and shared between more people. But it's still a centralised, profit-driven company, right? Mm-hmm. You're essentially replacing ownership with paying for a service instead. Yeah. Now, there is another type of sharing economy model, and one that's more driven by a community approach. Kia ora. Kia ora. Hi. Can I see your backspace? Yes. Thank you.
2: This is the Newtown Tool Library. It's a small space in an old Wellington Council storage room between some public toilets and the library.
0: According to StatsNZ, the average New Zealand household spends around $300 a year on tools. And think about it. Usually we buy them for a specific job, and then they just sit in the cupboard or the garage. Mm. But there is an alternative. Tool libraries and maker spaces are popping up all over the country, The basic premise is pretty simple. You can go in and borrow tools and other items from them in the same way you'd get a book from a traditional library.
3: Today we're looking for a hammer drill and a kind of saw. We have a little deck in our apartment and we're trying to do like a clothes dryer to put all of the nappies that we wash very frequently. You can get drills, you can get hammers, you can get saws, you can get stuff for painting... You can get water blasters and lawn
1: mowers. It makes absolutely no sense for everyone to own a hedge trimmer. I need to cut my hedge two, three times a year, but there's no possible justification for me to own one and keep it in my shed for the other 360 days of the year.
3: I've just joined up today. I live in an apartment, so I have no room to store a weed eater. I only use one occasionally, and I live on a third floor, so it's not even for my house. So. I think I'll be the first
2: person who will be hiring a lawnmower or weed eater that lives in a third floor apartment
0: So Sophie, you went down to our local tool library in Newtown Mm -hmm. What's it like?
2: It's a pretty unique space It's filled with every tool you could possibly think of People just pop in and pay a yearly fee to use any of the tools for as many times as they like And then you just return them the next week And while I was there, John, I also spoke to one of the volunteers who helps run the library. This is Freya.
3: Sophie, wasn't it?
2: So how many members do you think that you have?
3: Hmm, hard to keep track, but I think uh, we've got over 500. Yeah, maybe actually over 600
2: now. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good for, like, a small space from donated tools, right? Yeah. Are are we the only one, though? Is Newtown the only tool library in existence? No,
3: there's lots around the country, but Mm. in Wellington, I think that we're the only one. Yeah. Yeah, there's ones in Littleton and Auckland, and and there's lots popping up around the place. Wow. How much do you reckon people save using the library? Oh, wow. Good question. Well, tools are pretty expensive, especially power tools mm. the drop saw for example is like 500 plus a pop so wow. if you just to use that or like drills they're quite a popular item mm. they're about like a hundred dollars each so if you're just needing to use that for a few holes or a wee project yeah it's quite a lot already that you've saved
2: Yeah, because even if you used one drill once, that's still cheaper than buying it, right, for 30 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Mm. you could
3: get three years of membership for (laughs) the price of the drill. Yeah. (laughs)
2: And what about the environmental drivers behind the tool library?
3: The amount of e-waste that ends up in landfills or just around the place is just massive. Being able to have a tool that gets fixed and then multiple people use it, not just sitting in a... Cupboard um, is awesome Just buying something Because you need it once Just doesn't seem like a very Logical system
2: Yeah, Particularly when things are so expensive
3: Yeah and I mean it takes A lot of work to make the thing Mm -hmm. And like the effect that That
2: has on the environment What do you think other than the environmental Sort of drivers of things Do you think there's like other key benefits To being a member of the tool
3: Library I guess it depends what lens you want to put on it. If you're just thinking money, you get to save a whole bunch of money and you've got access to all these tools and then you don't have to keep them in your house. Also getting to learn about tools. People that haven't used things come in and they say, hey, I've got this job, what do I do? Um, do you have any recommendations? And we can point them in the right direction and so you're not just
2: loaning it out you're actually helping people to use them as well and giving them advice
3: yeah yeah Yeah. well to a certain extent yes we want to make sure that people are safe and know what they're up to Mm -hmm. and also that they can do the project that they're wanting to do
2: all right so in terms of the sharing economy generally what do you think the future of that is and how do you see yourselves within it
3: I'd love it to go everywhere. (laughs) I don't think we need to own things. There's this idea that everybody needs to own everything themselves. Mm. It just seems unachievable and wasteful. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see more places loaning out things and encouraging this kind of behaviour.
0: So Sophie, what have you learnt from your tool library experience?
2: I have learned that I have been a fool buying tools, and especially because the Newtown Tool Library is literally around the corner from me. Hmm. And I have taken liberties with my thirty dollars subscription, booked a whole bunch of things have for next weekend. Have you
0: it? Have you? Yeah. yeah, I've
2: got I've got my weed whacker, I've got my saws, I've got everything. I hope
0: you don't collapse the model. Right? Do they put a, a <laughs> yeah, Do they put I'm a not- restrict? Like you can rent like five library books at a time, and that's it.
2: I mean, I take library books home, but I don't read that quickly, so... Hmm.
0: But you're not aware of if there is a...
2: A restriction on the number of tools. I don't think so. But there is... Apparently, the Weed worker is the... Pretty popular. Top tool.
0: Super cool. Mm. But before we end the episode, there is one more thing we need to look at. What's that? So 60% of our GDP is based on consumer spending. So if we share more and buy less... What does that actually mean for the economy? Mm. Will there be mass unemployment? Will there be rioting in the streets? I don't know. But to answer that, let's welcome David Dyson. He's a senior lecturer of economics at Lincoln University.
2: Hi, David. It's Sophie here. Hey, Sophie. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing?
4: I'm all good. I'm really busy uh, at university and getting ready for welcoming the students back on campus, either on campus or online or however it's going to be.
2: So, David, if we look at what I've been doing recently, which is I use Mevo, which is a car-sharing service, and I've also recently joined our local tool library and borrowed a ladder. What did these sorts of activities have in terms of an effect on the economy and the job market? So if I'm moving away from owning a car, I'm moving away from owning a ladder, are the ladder factories and the car is going to go out of business, or what's the impact?
4: Quick question. I think the concept of sharing is not a new thing. What I think is new in this instance is the fact that it has become a business opportunity. So mm. people have lease space. They don't value those aspects anymore, for example. So if you rent a house, you don't necessarily need a ladder. You can call your land uh, property manager and tell them, you know, this light bulb is broken so they'll send someone out to come and fix it. So I don't really need You'll be lucky. uh, (laughs) Not not in Wellington (laughs) (laughs) Well I must tell you the people in Christchurch are really friendly. So maybe (laughs) maybe that's just uh how it works yeah in the South. But um but I think that money that you've spent uh renting the ladder versus the money that you're gonna spend on something else Because I assume that if you save money through this whole process, you will have some money left that you most likely will use for some other purpose. You'll either spend it on something else, or you'll save it. So if you save that money, for example, it doesn't mean the money's lost to the economy, not at all. It actually means that the banks have got more money at their disposal to actually make credits available for other investors. And that is how the economy operates. And this is a really simplistic macroeconomic model, but it's still important to understand that if I save money, which I don't spend, then someone else through the bank or a financial institution is able to actually use that money and develop a new business opportunity for the economy. So that money is not necessarily lost to the economy. And I think that's the important thing. So whether or not you save or you spend, money is still being utilized throughout the economy.
2: So that makes sense in terms of just because I don't have money tied up in things and I go and I doesn't mean I have to spend it by saving it. It might free up some credit at the bank for someone else. But what about in terms of jobs in the economy? So um, the ladder factory worker or the car manufacturer worker, like, are, they, are there economies within the economy that are going to decrease? They're going to be changes, I guess.
4: It's about economies of scale for those manufacturers. So, absolutely, it's going to change. It's going to influence the way in which they they look at the market. Uh, Those manufacturers continuously seek new markets, and that is because consumer spending and consumer habits change over time. So, you'll either get companies making complementary kind of goods and services, so they won't necessarily just focus on one good, so they might have more than one that... Is comparable, compatible with the machinery or the infrastructure that they have available, or they'll expand. I don't think, from an economic perspective, if you look at it from a country perspective, I think you create more job opportunities as new opportunities arise. For example, a toolset hiring or rental company is someone's creating employment opportunities as a result of you know seeing this gap in the market. Mm. But for certain industries, you'll, have, you'll see that they most likely will, will die down and end. And a good example, again, is the CD companies. We don't use CDs or DVDs really anymore. So they would have to change or they'll close down. It normally takes a couple of years. So they can see how consumer trends are taking shape and changing over time. And as a result, then they will either adjust to it or, or they'll close down. But they'll always have something else And I think that's the the beauty of the economy, is that after a while it's regulating itself.
2: What if they're not a company at all, though? What if they're like a community-led organisation, like a tool library, um, where they have volunteers and they're sort of not-for-profit, as opposed to, say, Mevo, that is a car-sharing service that is for-profit and is that sort of company model, as you were saying, that can enter and exit the market. Does... The difference between those two sorts of services, one that's sort of community-led and one that's sort of profit-led, are there different impacts on the economy because of those different types of sharing services?
4: Yeah, I think so. When, I think when you get into the nitty-gritty of stuff, like you've explained now, there's certain things that um, will probably pop out and opportunities that won't be available within the market space. But if, if you look at those community-led activities, they'll probably still need a space to use so if it's not someone giving them a space for free they might have to rent it if it's a space for free at least it's being utilized if they do rent it out they have money available to spend it on some goods and services so if that is the case and i think it's small scale i don't i'm not aware that it's necessarily big scale yeah i think sure you'll probably get the hardware company if it's a small community and you get a hardware store that might um, say, you know what, you guys, you're, you're killing my business, which is rightfully an issue, but, but that would be a risk for that company. That would be a risk for that hallway store in that community um, if everything is provided for in that shared area. So I think if you go and zoom down at individual instances, you might get those companies that might struggle and might close as a result of it. But from a, the big economy and the the economy. I don't see it as a big threat that will destabilise this story with the labour market. Interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. So I guess the summary of that conversation was we're not going to bugger over the economy by moving to more shared services, even if we save the money in the bank from the money that we might save from not owning a car or a ladder. That's actually a net benefit for people the banks and the economy because more credit is available to people to start different businesses and offer different jobs. Would that be a fair mm-hmm. summary?
0: Yep, absolutely. Yep. Awesome. I agree with that summary. All right, I think we've got it. Cool. So, Sophie. Yes. I think you were already on a bit of a journey into the sharing economy. Mm. Do you think you're going to go deeper
2: yeah definitely i mean if the tool libraries taught me anything it's that there's lots of these things out there where i could use a collective service as opposed to going and buying it myself so i'm definitely interested to explore that more what about you do you think you're going to look into sharing as opposed to ownership
0: yeah i think i'm at a stage of life where i've kind of i'm lucky enough to have accumulated most of the basic stuff so i don't need to necessarily go out and get a lot now anyway so i don't Mm -hmm. necessarily spend lots of money at the hardware store every weekend but what i've learned is that i should keep an eye out for it and that the default position of ownership is not necessarily the right one Mm. so i guess hopefully going forward i will challenge myself when i think oh we need to buy a new to go actually where else can i source that item or do i even need that item in the first place
2: yeah I think that's a really good question for most people to think about. One thing I was definitely thinking about during this podcast making was whether there were services I would use that I would prefer to rent as opposed to own and what those would be in an ideal world. The thing that actually struck me the most was my home. So I would actually prefer to rent it but our economy doesn't allow for that to happen in a way that's secure or stable or price efficient.
0: Wow, that's quite a statement. So, you know, at the start of the episode, we asked a really big question. Do we need to own everything we use or is access over ownership and the sharing economy a good solution?
2: Well, I think we've concluded that, yeah, it is a good option for a lot of things. It's not going to be the great panacea of, all consumerism but definitely feels a part of our economy and I think we've also learnt that it's not going to be the massive tank to our economy that you know we're going to lose jobs or money's going to drain right out of it it's just a different way of using our resources.
0: Yeah I agree and what I really like about it is there's a good kind of social access point to be Mm. made. You talked about the fact that you're driving around in a $150,000 German car (laughs) <laughs> uh, that you would never be able to afford normally and, mm. at the moment. And the same will be true across tool libraries and toy libraries and all sorts of other parts of the sharing economy. You know, people are getting access to things they normally wouldn't be able to afford because the cost of ownership is spread across lots of people. I think that's super cool. That's it for Series 1 of Consume This!, Thanks to everyone who's been a part of it, including you, for following, sharing, reviewing, recommending, and choosing to spend your time with us. I hope it's been as fun to listen to as it has been to make.
2: Yeah, and as John said at the start of this episode, if you could complete our Series 1 listener survey, we would really value your feedback, and it will allow us to give you more of the stuff you like and less of the things you don't, except for my laugh, which I will not change. It only takes a couple of minutes and auto enters you into the drawer for a $50 Prezi card. The link's in the show notes.
0: We're already hard at work on Series 2, so keep your ears open for that. We've got a few surprises lined up too. Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ. We're a not-for-profit organisation supporting and in turn supported by our members. To join or check out the full list of member benefits, head over to the Consumer NZ website. The link is also in the show notes and we'd love to have you join our community.
2: Consume This is hosted by us, John Duffy and Sophie Richardson. Produced by Tom Rees-Smith and executive produced by Gemma Rasmussen. Hamish Wilgar oversaw marketing, Patrick Ruffle was in charge of email marketing and Frank Ramsden-Bradley handled the website and social media. We'll be back soon, but for now, Marty wā. See ya. I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.